My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus heard of the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew in a boat to a deserted place by himself. The crowds heard of this and followed him on foot from their towns. When he disembarked and saw the vast crowd, his heart was moved with pity for them, and he cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples approached him and said, This is a deserted place, and it is already late. Dismiss the crowds so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, There's no need for them to go away. Give them some food yourselves. But they said to him, Five loaves and two fish are all we have. Then he said, Bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he said the blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples, who in turn gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up the fragments left over, twelve wicker baskets full. Those who ate were about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The Gospel of the Lord. What is in our control and what isn't? That's always an important question for people in terms of juggling responsibilities, managing their lives and their expectations. But even more so, that's probably been one of the most challenging things that every one of us has been struggling with for months and is continuing to cause the most stress and tension and anxiety and fear. Seemingly overnight, we went from going where we want, doing what we want, when we wanted, to not being able to do any of those things or with heavy restrictions that seem to change just as quickly. The wide range of emotions for people of all ages has been one of the most disorienting things to experience, particularly because it seems to affect everything from our health, our livelihoods, our relationships, Every aspect of our very lives has been impacted by looking at what's in our control and what isn't. Which leads to a whole litany of questions with answers that are just as unclear or as changing as well. What are we supposed to do? What are the risks? Are the risks worth it? What's the plan? What's the cure? What do I have to do to be safe and secure and healthy? What do I need to do to protect myself and my family? Who has the answers? And you add layers of civil unrest, political polarization, 
abundance of information and disinformation that we're bombarded with, it's understandable that people are exhausted, mentally and physically tired and weary. Jesus' disciples were feeling somewhat similarly in this gospel passage. They too had experienced something traumatic. John the Baptist, the one who for many of them first prepared their hearts and opened their eyes to Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Chosen One, had been brutally killed for the most unnoble of reasons. Just to recap, King Herod was this horny, undisciplined, selfish man. Herod allowed his, his lust for this woman and a provocative dance that she had performed for him to cause whatever slightest shred of decency that he had to disappear. The dancing woman's mother demanded the head of John the Baptist for daring to point out her sinfulness in being with Herod. And the morally bankrupt Herod went right along with it and ordered the murder to be done, and John was beheaded. It was so pointless and so absurd. Man's cruelty and lack of humanity and decency displayed in such dramatic violence. That had to have caused immense sadness and confusion and grief and disbelief for the disciples. And it certainly affected Jesus, who not only loved John for his, his service in ushering in Jesus' mission, but they were family. John was his cousin as well. So Jesus had withdrawn to, to be alone with his father in prayer. That's how things started out in the passage that we just heard. Yet Jesus is no sooner out of the boat, and we read that crowds come looking for him. They had begun to see the signs and wonders of what he was capable of, and their hearts were left to ponder the parables and teachings that he had shared. And they didn't quite know what to think. For them, too, they had struggles with what was in their control and what wasn't. They were occupied by the Romans, so their freedoms had been limited. As Jews, they were divided into all kinds of subgroups with different leaders, and there was all kinds of infighting and division among them, too. They had heard John the Baptist's preaching pointing them to Jesus, and now Jesus had begun to open them to the possibility that maybe, just maybe, the kingdom of God was bigger than just their earthly hopes and dreams. Maybe the Messiah was interested in something more than just settling a historic scores with the Romans and handing a new victory to the, to the Jews. Maybe it was even more personal and intimate that God was interested in his people, not just on a, a collective, grand, communal sense, but his people, each and every single one of them. They didn't quite know what to think. What they knew, what they knew all too well, was that they had hungers and thirsts. They had experienced poverty, whether it was materially, emotionally, maybe even a poverty that they never really contemplated before, since 
those other layers are much more obvious and pronounced and understandably get more attention. But this other poverty is even more urgent, the spiritual poverty that they had. So St. Matthew recounts that Jesus moves from his own personal grief for his cousin to seeing the vast crowd and being moved with pity. And he cured their sick. Those three words, cured their sick, it sounds so matter-of-fact, doesn't it? It's almost like they were unimpressed at this point. Earlier, when Jesus had cured a, a withered hand, or restored sight or speech to someone, those were pretty noteworthy. But here it's almost an afterthought. God's miracle is almost being taken for granted. What the disciples and what St. Matthew knew was that they were in grief over John the Baptist's death. They had intended to mourn and to grieve or try to process what had happened. And now these crowds start arriving and Jesus is spending his time ministering to them. And so they project their weariness onto him with this question of control as well. They're hungry. The crowds have to be hungry. They're poor in spirit. The crowds must be becoming poor in spirit as well. Jesus, just send them away. Let them go off by themselves. Let them go buy food for themselves. Who knew that disciples were the first ones to advocate social distancing and stay-at-home orders? Jesus counters, give them some food yourselves. Immediately, they're caught up with the ridiculousness of the suggestion. It seems impossible for them to do that with what they have. Five loaves and two fish are all we have. It's not enough, Lord. As they fixate on what's in their possession, what's in their control, they don't have enough. They barely have enough for themselves. They certainly don't have enough for a vast crowd. But there is something else in their power and in their control. And that's the decision to listen to Jesus as he invites them, bring them here to me. It's in their control to put their logic and their reason and their arguments and their pride, to put all that aside and once again to put faith and trust in the one who had called them by name and had invited them to follow him. It's in listening to Jesus. It's in choosing to yield the limited control of their minds and their possessions to him that this miracle takes place, which astounds them. That's why, in a sense, all those other healings that took place that day seem to recede from their view. Five loaves and two fish end up multiplying, feeding thousands in such abundance that in the end, they had more than what they had started with. They're left with 12 baskets of leftovers. They're beginning to see that in following Jesus, in putting their faith and trust in him, much more important truth would resonate beyond that day and beyond that meal. Namely, that God sees and he cares. And his words through the prophet Isaiah to come to me 
are fulfilled in Jesus. Not in simply a materialistic, worldly way. He's not our divine grocer or our ATM, but fulfilling the deeper, truer hungers and needs. One of the great sadnesses, the great poverty right now, is that we have a world that is running scared and fixated on very earthly things. We've gone from toilet paper shortages to Lysol being sold at astronomical prices online to waiting anxiously for reports on a daily basis on the progress of some drug or some vaccine or some other news that will in some way bring things back to normal. Yet perhaps that's the problem. We're willing or we're desiring to go back to normal, deluding ourselves that with these very earthly concerns addressed, that the stress and the anxiety and the fear and the panic of the world, which has been fully unmasked with this virus, reveals a great spiritual sickness that's not going to be cured by any pharmaceutical or drug. St. John Paul II once said, faced with problems and disappointments, many people will try to escape from their responsibility, escape in selfishness, escape in sexual pleasure, escape in drugs, escape in violence, escape in indifference and cynical attitudes. But today I propose to you the option of love which is the opposite of escape. If you really accept that love from Christ, it will lead you to God. The choice to follow Jesus Christ, to put our faith and our trust in Him, to see in Him the answer to our deepest hungers and our greatest of poverties, that choice is fully in our control.